Welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. Today's guest is none other than the highly influential Dr. Amy Scanlon, who is a trailblazing CMO of a clinically integrated network in the Western region. Today, Sandy and Amy are digging into how to rise above task drag to spend more time working strategically. They're also getting into the pitfalls of taking too much responsibility, making space for people who haven't talked in a meeting, how to bring more perspectives to the table in a productive way, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, let's get into the show. of it but just in my own journey I feel like those dark nights have been the like birthing places of something else waking up I fought it every time I still fight it and it still happens yeah there's something about there's something about that 3 a.m thing it's, and it's funny like my patients we I talk about this with my patients like those 3 a.m awakenings where something happens and it's I've started using some of the techniques you taught me about sort of just sitting back and watching yourself. And it is fascinating to see what the brain is doing. It's just like, wow, this is amazing. Okay, we have to pause right now because I want to put this into the recording because we have so much to talk about in that space. So much. Well, with that, good morning, happy Thursday, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. First of all, I'm just going to take a big breath because I really was excited. So just a minute here. Just kind of exhale. And let's maybe start with just a couple sentences to introduce you and maybe how the heck you got to where you are. Yeah, no, it's sometimes I ask myself the same question, to be honest. I am a family physician. I came out to Denver to do my residency and then never left. So left my residency and joined a practice that did a lot of quality improvement and was one of the first value-based care practices in Denver and worked with them for about six years and ended up leaving there to join a private practice, mostly because I wanted to continue to deliver babies. And so became a practice owner of a small private practice, actually not so small, there were four of us. And as time went on, ended up giving up OB, focusing more on my outpatient work. And my practice partners all wanted to retire. And so we ended up selling to a large health system. So joined a large health system and got interested in quality again and started saying yes to opportunities and found myself after a few years in an odd position of being asked to be a physician leader and not really knowing what I was in for said yes. And over the course of about four or five years, took on various leadership roles. And then about two and a half, almost three years ago, left that position to come to my current position, which is as a chief medical officer for an accountable care network that's associated with two big health systems. So it's been quite a journey and lots of learning along the way. Hmm. My mind was mapping out these different pivots, like a left pivot and a right pivot. And you really caught my attention when you said the uh, odd position <laughs> of moving into leadership. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I think it's true. I was always interested in getting involved in, I realized, I think at some point that I was impacting patients on a day-to-day -day level, but I also was frustrated enough with the system I was part of that I wanted to make some change and I couldn't make that change patient by patient. So I started to look for opportunities where I thought I could make change at a little bit of a bigger level. Every time I saw an opportunity, I would say yes. And 
Lots of times I, I definitely felt like I was jumping into something that I didn't know very much about, but it was super fun to learn along the way. And everybody I was working with seemed eager to teach. So they were great opportunities. This is such a cool point because one of the stories I'm making up in my mind is there are these myths out there that we all have a calling and it's clear and it's inspirational and it's uplifting. And yet what I hear you saying is sometimes there's resistance or I've got enough frustration that that's actually part of my calling to move forward. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways being a physician is a calling. In a lot of ways, it's a calling, I should say. And I have always been someone who's been driven to do right by my patients. But I think the hard thing is, especially in today's healthcare system, I really realized there's only so much I can do in the exam room. I can do absolutely everything right by my patient in the exam room, and I still face barriers for them and barriers to good health purely because of the way the system operates. And so I really felt like I was going to have more of an effect if I tried to get involved in changing the system. And some days I feel like that's an overwhelming task and I'm never going to get there. And other days I feel like, okay, we're making some progress. So it's a very different take, but the goal is still the same. It's still to make it better for patients. It's so good. All right, let's go down that path. So I love the way you're framing up that there's only so much change you can do in the exam room. And so you wanted to move into changing within systems. And so I have to assume there's a lot of challenges when you're working in a large system, wanting to create change. Tell me two or three or four of some of the biggest challenges that have drained you in your current role. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the challenges revolve around perspective and communication. I am a big believer in if we are going to change the healthcare system, it does involve culture change for physicians. The day when I, as the doctor, was in charge of everything for my patient is gone. And so we really, medicine, it has always been a team-based sport, but I think it's more called out now. Now it is imperative that it's a team-based sport. The studies show, especially for primary care doctors, if I was to do everything that I'm supposed to do and called to do, I would be working 21.7 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's just not possible. So we have to be building teams. And I think oftentimes your perspective changes as your role changes. And you can, when you're in the exam room, get overwhelmed by all those tasks. And as you start to change your perspective a little bit and think about how do I, instead of feeling so overwhelmed by the tasks, how do I build the teams around me? How do I affect the system to make it possible for those tasks to happen maybe not necessarily by my own hands doing them. So I think that's always the challenge is that, you know, I often find talking with physicians on the front line, they are very burnt out, very frustrated, and justifiably so. And sometimes once you kind of take a step back and you take that 30,000 foot view and you see all the contributing factors, it's a little bit easier to step back and say, oh, I get why this is making me feel this way. Well, here, maybe if I pull this lever, it might change. So I think it really is imperative that we kind of get people to see that big picture. And that's often really hard to do because they're, they're often really just overwhelmed by their own perspective and what they're in the middle of. This is so powerful. I'm really struck by how you're really acknowledging the difficulties or the frustrations or the angst of what's going on for physicians today 
and acknowledging it can be hard. There can be a right way. There can be a certain way to think about it. Or the way you're reframing it is around just wondering about perspective, communication, culture. I'm really appreciating the way you're framing that up. Talk to me a little bit about what part of that has been specifically irritating or frustrating for you as a leader? You know, honestly, I think the most frustrating thing is the burnout. And I recognize the burnout. I went through it. It was definitely part of my experience in practice. I know what that feels like. And I also believe that we have to get beyond that. We have to be able to say, yeah, this is, this is hard and the expectations are high. And how do we get there? Instead of sort of allowing ourselves to basically feel like we've been defeated. And it's, it's a really hard thing because on the one hand, you really do have to recognize there's good reasons why people feel burnt out. There's good, especially coming off this pandemic. But if we're really going to change things, we as physicians especially have a responsibility to step into that ring and allow our voices to be heard. And not just in an angry, whining perspective, we really have to come to the table with thoughtful solutions and collaboration in mind. So I think that's some of the frustration I sometimes see, feel and see. Yeah. I'm really appreciating your vulnerability right now as you give voice to this recognition, like you went through it, you know what it felt like. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share if you could go back in time, what was your experience of burnout? Like when you were pulled into the weeds or pulled into your own experience of feeling that, how did you know? What was burnout like for you personally back when you felt it? Yeah, I mean, and this was, I mean, I have a very clear picture of what this felt like. I was seeing 18 to 20 patients a day. I had a fairly big panel. My partners had just retired. And so I was inheriting a lot of their patients. I felt like I didn't have the staff to support me. There's always a lot of change in healthcare. So you're always learning new things and that's hard in itself. But I think that the hardest thing about what I felt was I just felt like I couldn't take care of my patients and I was starting to come to work angry. And when somebody came in and they were sick or they had something else going on that hadn't been called out on the schedule that I wasn't prepared for, I just got angry. And so I caught myself just ignoring people's complaints. And that's when I knew I really had a problem. I mean, my job as a physician is to walk into that room ready and able to focus on that patient and really focus on what that patient needs from me. And I just couldn't do it. It was really, really hard. And it took me some time to be able to step back and recognize that this wasn't just me. It wasn't me failing. It was the whole system failing. And you know, I had to take ownership of my part and take better care of myself. But I also really started to think, I've got to work on changing the system too. Oh my gosh, we could take this so many different directions. First of all, thank you for going back in time and describing what that felt like, that feeling of, I can't do it. My circumstances are not allowing me to be the physician I want to be and feeling that anger. One of the ways I know I've been trained is to tap into the wisdom of our bodies and our emotions. And anger is usually informing us that something is not right. So to be able to feel that anger when we have the support can be so informative. I'm wondering if, if we could linger in this place for just another minute, what supported a shift in you to begin supporting the shift in others? 
You know, I think, first of all, recognizing that it wasn't my fault. I think we as physicians often take so much responsibility on ourselves and we're taught that, we're trained that way. I mean, I, I remember in medical school attending saying, well, don't trust what's in front of you, check it out for yourself. I mean, that culture of you are responsible, you are the ultimate person making the decisions. The emotional weight that that carries is huge. And I think understanding that piece because it doesn't show up in the measures, right? Like it doesn't show up in productivity measures. It doesn't show up in quality measures. Nobody measures the amount of responsibility that a physician feels for their patients. And so it's often forgotten, but it's huge. And I think if we have systems that don't recognize that and don't support the actual reason the physician is there, that is really to help make people feel better, to help comfort and care for the sick. If all the system is doing is throwing barriers up to that goal, then the physician feels basically impotent. And you know that's and totally disempowered. And so if you have a day where you have 20 people in front of you and they're coming to you for help, and you are constantly saying, oh, I'm sorry, that's not available to you. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. By the end of the day, you're pretty deflated. So I think the focus on how do we build a system that really takes that physician who we know is super smart and super dedicated and feels that huge responsibility and build a structure around them that supports that. I mean, we saw that piece come out in the pandemic when people stepped up in ways that they weren't even asked to step up. And so we have to keep that in mind as we make some of these changes. Yes. I'm noticing my own breathing just slowing down and softening as you give voice to this notion of just what the impact is when we as people or as physicians feel this emotional weight, feel like just unconsciously or consciously taken on more and more responsibility and it doesn't show up in the productivity measures, but yet there's this feeling of disempowerment. I'm so appreciative of the way you're unpacking that. Talk to us a little bit more as we move forward into your role. What are some of the insights you've already shared some, what are some other insights you've had or behaviors you've changed as a CMO to support this kind of culture going on for physicians? Yeah, I mean, my role now is a little unique because I no longer manage physicians. So it's a little bit of a luxury, right? I no longer am in the position of having to sit down with somebody and talk to them about their productivity, about their quality metrics. But I have a voice in conversations where those measures are being discussed and determined. And so in that role, I am often very conscious of with this measure, what burden am I placing on a particular physician or on a particular team? And really trying to be cognizant about how much burden is placed on whom. And I think the hard thing about what I'm doing now is a lot of it is change management. We're trying to get people to move into a more value-based care system. And again, value-based care is, I consider it patient-based care because it's really focusing on the patient journey and helping patients navigate that care journey in a high quality, patient-centered, cost-effective way. But the change management is hard because it's a new way of doing things. And so oftentimes the things that I'm putting in front of people 
are going to make them uncomfortable and are going to be hard and are going to place a certain amount of burden. So it's constantly managing that piece of how hard to push in a direction that gets us to where I feel like we need to go without really making burnout worse. Yeah, I'm really getting that over here, the empathy and compassion you have for the physician experience and the empathy and compassion you have for the patient experience in the midst of this whirlwind we're having in the industry. And I'm really appreciating the way you're framing it up through this lens of change management. Talk to us a little bit about any particular maybe mindsets you have adopted to guide others through change management or any beliefs you've had to let go of yourself or any other practical or tactical tools that you've been practicing as a leader in change management? Yeah, I mean, change management is hard. And I think I've had to let go of my feeling that I need to have the answer all the time. And I think that's that's a big one. Because as again, as a physician, when you're seeing the patient, the patient is looking to you oftentimes for the answer. Well, doc, what would you do? And I think in what I do now, a lot of it is not really knowing the answer is okay, because I am going to rely on people around me to help me get there. So it's really been about letting go of my need to control how things are going and really sort of listening harder to other people and making space for other people to have voice. And then at the end of the day, using the team around me to figure out what is the best thing to do. So that's a lot of how I've kind of changed how I've approached it. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me just a little bit more. What's been the hardest part of listening harder, making space? I think you said using the team. What's been one of the hardest parts of that for you? You know, the hardest part is learning to pause. (laughs) I think I'm somebody who's always moving. So I've really had to be very conscious about learning to pause and not just jump to the answer and making sure that when I'm in a group, thinking about who hasn't spoken and how do I ask for their opinion and make them feel safe enough to speak up. So I think making space for other voices has been challenging. Again, I'm a doctor, you know, I'm used to being, I'm used to being the one with the answers. So it's hard to sort of really take a step back sometimes and say, I don't have to be with the one with the answers and I shouldn't be the one with the answers in this space. Yeah. I'm sitting here smiling because I'm thinking of just in my own life. Sometimes there's some benefits and payoffs of being the expert. I get to feel like I'm powerful. My ego like gets all excited. Like there's these benefits of doing that. Yet I'm really appreciating what you're saying, which is there's actually benefits of doing the opposite and resisting being the expert. Yeah. I mean, I, over the last couple of years, as I've done more of this, I think the answers are usually better when you have more people at the table. Now that can also go completely awry. If you've got a ton of people at the table, you can create swirl, but I've often found that we come to the best conclusions when we allow a few more people to be part of that conversation. It's so good. Maybe share a couple other benefits or maybe the impact when you do practice listening harder. I think you called it making space, using the team. What has been the impact or some of the benefits of doing that? Yeah, one of the benefits is actually learning a little bit more about my own biases about stuff. We all talk about implicit bias, but we don't often 
recognize it. And I think making space for other people to bring their opinions and thoughts and perspectives to the table has definitely made me step back and say, wow, I didn't even think about that. Well, why didn't I think about that? Well, I didn't think about that because there's this stereotype that I have. So I think creating space has really allowed me to think a little bit more about inherent biases, implicit biases that are part of some of these decisions. And again, being in a position where some of the decisions that I get to be part of impact a lot of physicians and patients. So I want to be thoughtful around those places. But that's definitely one of the things that's impactful. So good. As I'm listening to you, I'm imagining that being a CMO, when you lead from that place, it allows you to keep learning. It allows you to role model, like what if the opposite is true? Role modeling that in front of other people and appreciating different styles and even role modeling that there can be more than one or two possibilities. I'm just imagining how other people around you witnessing you leading from that place actually allows them to even lead from new places. Yeah, I think it's it's a good point because I think if you can see people asking questions, you're more likely to open up and ask questions yourself. If somebody walks into the room and they have all the answers and they're going to tell you what the right and wrong thing is, you're likely to keep your mouth shut, I think. <laughs> That's so good. I'm wondering if you might be able to share a specific story or moment when these mindsets, these leadership ideas really clicked in for you. You've got a moment maybe you can walk us through when you're like, aha, and you like pivoted and shifted the way you were showing up as a leader. Gosh, I think, you know, the funny thing is it, it continues to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that there's a particular moment. I mean, I, I was in a meeting this morning where we were presenting an idea and my team had talked through the idea. We'd sort of come to a conclusion and we were presenting it to a group of physicians. And one of the physicians said, well, what if we did it this way? And I all of a sudden paused and I was like, my initial reaction was like, no, no, we can't do that. We don't have time to go back and do it all again. And then I thought, but wait a second, what if they're right? And so, you know, I sort of backed up and said, you know, that's a really good point. Let's talk through that. And we ended up taking most of the meeting to talk through it. But 10 years ago, I might have just gotten frustrated and said, no, 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 that's not the right thing to do. But it was important to kind of be able to step back and allow the space to talk through it. And we ended up in a different place that I hadn't thought of. So it was it was great to be able to have that space and not let my own ego get in the way. Mm. Okay. One of the things I'm really appreciating about you and that story is how you're role modeling that literally like all kinds of people and circumstances can be our allies, even like the things that feel disruptive or counterintuitive. And that to me is such a leap to allow us to be in that place of curiosity, growth, and learning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing about burnout that's hard is that when you're in that place of burnout, everything feels like it's being done to you. And it doesn't allow you to take a step back and open your mind a little bit and say, what if, or maybe we do it this way, or hmm, what could I change here? Because you're just so angry about the fact that somebody's changing your plan. So I think it's re it is really important that we continue to try to get to these places because otherwise we're just going to continue to get angry. Yeah. So good. Ah, 
I'm learning a ton from you, really appreciating these insights and wondering if maybe we wrap up by just asking you to share as you reflect on where you've been, drop into today where you are and look at where you're going. Talk to us a bit about what you're noticing life is like for you now. Yeah, I really love what I do. I have to work a little bit on my tendency to let my work be my whole life. So I've gotten better about stepping back and saying, okay, I need to take a break now and then. But I think the most important thing that I've learned over the last few years is this concept of, I don't have to do everything. And I think that was a a huge sort of aha moment. And I'm not even sure it was an aha moment. I think it's just something that's kind of been cumulative over the last couple of years. And really sort of that thought that if you create space, people will step into that space if they feel like the space is a place where A, they're going to be safe, so you're not going to condemn them for anything. And B, they're going to have a voice. So, you know, I think... That's a lot of what I've done, tried to do over the last couple of years is creating spaces for people to step in and allow their voices to be heard and try to empower them in some of the work. And what that's done for me is, to be quite frank, it's made my life a whole lot easier. I sometimes joke with people that I feel terrible because I'm actually not working anymore. So, but I think it's, it's a lot more fun that way. And we get people who step in and just shine. And it's really fun to see that. I'm chuckling because I'm not working anymore. I think it's so fun when people experience that because from my training, what that means is we're really aligning our innermost world, like our strengths, our values, our experience, our knowledge. We're really aligning that with our outer world. And that's what it can feel like. Like there's this absence of energy leaks. We just feel this congruence and alignment And I think one of the common things you and I have is like, what if more people could have that? And I feel like that's part of our shared calling. Yeah. And creating the space to be able to think about it and process it in your mind and try little places where you're making small changes has a huge effect. So I think lots of people say, I don't have time for that. It is worth the time. So good. I think that's so funny because for especially really high achievers, sometimes a minute of like journaling is like, this is really painful. A minute is a long time. (laughs) Sometimes creating space can mean one or two minutes, right? You can play with that. Right. Awesome. Well, I'm really struck in this conversation. So many tips and ideas and nuggets you've offered about what has supported you to come from new spaces so that you can then support other people to explore new places. And just, I'm feeling a deep appreciation for your authenticity, vulnerability, tons of humility and wisdom. And thank you for sharing today. Well, thank you. And I can only say I had a great coach. (laughs) Well, cheers to co-creating great conversations.